you know, you were you've been on before, but this time I was sent through like the official channels. And I talked to this person. I sent up like official emails, and people were referring to you as the CE, which I was like, oh, okay, I'm getting big timed. I see what's going on. I'm, I'm fine with it. Look, I look, I understand it. I get it. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, they, it, my staff has specific instructions that anyone who calls, anyone, this is an open, transparent government. You can send them through to me, unless it's the bunker. The bunker, you I, got you know, filters. Hello, friends and comrades. Today's episode of the Highlands Bunker podcast is brought to you in collaboration with the Delaware Call. The Delaware Call is the state's newest community news and grassroots political online magazine. Check it out at DelawareCall.com and please consider a reoccurring donation to support its work. Uh, this is an excerpt from an article published on Delaware Online um, this morning, uh, 18 November 2020. COVID-19 pandemic has Delaware homeless shelters facing shortages. Winter isn't waiting uh, by Jeannie Kwan. This is like the fifth paragraph it starts. In northern Delaware, plans to open up more beds for the winter hinge on Newcastle County's effort to convert the Sheraton Hotel near Newcastle into an emergency shelter. County officials used federal coronavirus relief money to buy the building at auction for $19.5 million last month and hope to open the shelter in December. The winter is going to be like no other winter we've had, said Carrie Casey, manager of Newcastle County Department of Community Services, who is spearheading the conversion. Under normal circumstances, nonprofits in each county activate Code Purple on cold winter nights, opening additional space, usually in particular uh, participating churches. This year, Casey plans to allow the county's Code Purple operator, Friendship House, to operate out of the hotel where individual rooms would be safer than congregating Set, than a congregating setting. The county also plans to contract with a social services provider to work out to work out of the hotel, finding residents more permanent housing. This is a quote. It'll be comprehensive every night, 24 hours, she said. That's what we plan on running the very first day we can open. On the podcast today to discuss this urgent issue in greater detail is Newcastle County Executive Matt Meyer. Hello, Matt. Hey, Rob. Yeah, great to be here with uh, you and Carl. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining. Um, before we get into the big topic today, um, I wanted to discuss just briefly um, some some housekeeping stuff from last week. Um, the Democratic Party Chair Eric Razor Sham stepped down from his position to accept a position on your staff. Um, the acting chair is now the previous chair's daughter. So remember, folks, nepotism isn't just for the Trumps and the Bidens. Um, you've just won a second and final term as county executive. Uh, looks like you're setting whoa, up for whoa, the future. Whoa, 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 Yeah? Second and final term? How, isn't it term, is it term I, limited? I want a second term. You know, the, the, not to start any rumors on the podcast, but... I mean, that's what I'm actually trying to start a rumor on the podcast. That's what I'm going <laughs> I know, for. I, I know that's what we do here. <laughs> the, the, the president and the governor and a lot of other officials, you get, you can serve two terms in your lifetime. Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, George Bush cannot buy the law of the United States run for or become president again. Yes. Um, same with Jack Markell and Mike Castle and Ruth Ann Minner. They all serve two terms. Uh, county executive, you can serve two terms consecutively, um, and then you can take a term off or two and then come back. 
Uh, I'm not I'm not announcing anything on this show right now, but I'm just saying leave your options open. I mean, well, I, you could I mean, you could announce on this show. I mean, there's a lot of moves going to probably happen with Lisa. We have an older senator. We have a senator who might be uh, picked for a cabinet senior. position. We don't have the older senator. We come call on him the senior senator. Let's come on. Uh, uh, you call him the senior senator. I mean, look, he's, let's it's, I don't think it's unfair to say that. He he should be considering retirement, whatever you whatever you call that. <clears throat> so there could be some shakeups, and I thought maybe you know you had some idea of what's what's happening. Things like things like things are happening, and you could give us some information to break some news here today. You want some you, breaking I, news? So I, I mean, I, I I I think you're governor material. Are you is that what you're is that what you're looking at, the governor? Or, or I mean, I think you know. So you think back in two thousand eight. Uh, first of all, I think you might be governor material, right? So I want to. No, I am that. definitely, I am definitely government material, but not in this world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think in, in 2008, if you think uh, Chris Coons is the last county executive to be reelected, I imagine if you talked to him in 2008 and told him two years later he would be in Joe Biden's Senate seat, uh, he would not see that as a likely possibility. So. So listen, there's all sorts of speculation and people in the in the business that I've chosen here, uh, people speculate about all sorts of things, uh, both related to my career and related to other things related to the Sheridan Hotel. And you learn to sort of tune a lot of it out. The one thing we're trying to do is do a really good job, stay focused. COVID is still real right now. As we know, our numbers are as bad as they have been throughout the whole pandemic. And we really need to stay those laser focused, not just me, but my whole team on making sure we serve the public, keep the public safe, and and protect the most vulnerable. Yeah, so let's let's get into that, and um, let's get into the details of this uh, of this purchase and the genesis of it. Um, who, when, when did it become clear that this was something uh, that you could possibly do? Um, how, how long had had you been thinking about something like this prior to COVID? Were, was was some of the financial stuff trying to work out? How how did it all play out up until the idea of we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna be part of this auction? So two things I told from day one of the of the pandemic, which for us is on or about March twelfth, right about eight, eight, eight a little over eight months ago. I, I've said to my team, we got to do two things. We absolutely have to do two things. We must be on the cutting edge of fighting the pandemic with the best testing resources, uh, creative opportunities like the sewer monitoring uh, that we're doing, doing things like making sure Wi-Fi is widely available, uh, just looking out there, coming up with new ideas, being open and receptive to ideas and constituents to, to fight uh, this, this virus. That's number one. And number two is we got to protect the most vulnerable, that there are people who are chronically vulnerable in our community who are made more vulnerable by COVID. And there are also people who are not used to being vulnerable. You think of someone who's, you know, I was talking to someone the other day who's, who's on three generations of, of, he's a third generation business owner and his business is collapsing. Uh, it's a catering business. And you can imagine there's not, so we got to make sure that we're looking out and protecting the most vulnerable. With respect to the most vulnerable, we initially honed in when you list the most vulnerable population, the homeless and shelter insecure uh, was really of concern. Of concern, number one, because almost every place, almost every safe place, regular safe place that homeless people go 
is not safe during COVID-19. There's a danger that when people congregate in a large room like that, it could become a cesspool for the virus. So what do we do about that? Um, on the one hand, um, and I forgot about the other hand, but yeah, <laughs> no, just making sure we protect the, the most vulnerable. It, it's uh, well, so there's that with respect to COVID and also understand this is a potential opportunity that uh, the Rick Van Story Center, RVRC, uh, the YMCA, transitional housing for uh, the homeless beds, hundreds of over 100 beds that had disappeared from the city that were not replaced. And if you talk to Carrie Casey and other homeless advocates, they'll tell you that those beds are sorely needed. They're needed whether there's COVID or not. So trying to sort of come up with a solution to that problem is where we started. Yeah, so you mentioned something, and, and I'm going to jump ahead because I, I had this written down, and, and it, was, it was literally my first reaction. And this, well, it was my second reaction. And this probably will not come as a big surprise to you. Um, you know, as you said, Rick Van Story has closed. Um, the Y, which had provided uh, really important services and housing, temporary housing, you know, th that uh, has been, you know, uh, I guess being decelerated. I don't know if that's completely closed now or not. I, I know it was on the way to do that. And when I found out that the property was the Sheraton off of 95 there, the first thing I thought of was, oh, Przicki must be just cock-a-hoop. He must be so pleased because everything I've heard, whether it's um, unhoused folks, folks who go and get uh, mental health services or medical services uh, connected to addic uh, addiction and other problems, um, you know, it, it's, it's not been a very... Um, the, the administration here in the city has not been very open into expanding those services. And so the first thing I thought was it, you, you bailed out the mayor. The mayor. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, what have you, have you worked with the city at all in, in identifying people? Um, how does that work as you overlap into um, the, the city proper and, 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 how, and how we're going to be able to take people who previously maybe were able to use Rick Van Story or the Y or other places and, then, and, and get them housed and serviced uh, at, this new, at this new facility. So during COVID-19, the state, Newcastle County, Newark, the city of Wilmington all received money through federal money, through the CARES Act, federal HUD money through the uh, Department of Housing and Urban Development to address housing insecurity and to assist homeless people. I believe it's fair to say, unlike we ever have before, all of our jurisdictions are really coordinating. Newcastle County, Delaware, uh, I'm sorry, Newcastle County, the state, the city of Newark, the city of Wilmington. We coordinate ordinarily, but with homeless services in particular, we're coordinating, making sure that uh, there are motel vouchers available, um, and so that people have basic housing. In the course of doing that, what we found was that there's, there's much more, um, first, first, we need more of a permanent solution for the period of COVID. Uh, and second of all, the number of motel rooms plus shelter beds available is not enough for, the, for where we are right now, where we think we're going in terms of shelter and security. So we need to define a larger solution. So that's sort of how we came to this in terms of like, whether it's in the city of Wilmington or not, to be honest, and I, I think I've told you this before, I don't really care. I want to find the best. And I, I should add, there's no perfect property. This Sheridan property, 
uh, is not a perfect property. It's not a perfect location. I think we all know that. It's not a perfect land use project, right? It's uh, it's something that's that's probably, in my view, should not have been built in the first place. But you can't, in the middle of a pandemic, when you're trying to protect the most vulnerable, you're not worrying about perfection. You're not drawing a map and saying, where's the absolute perfect place for us to build a homeless shelter? You're saying, how do, how do we do something and do it quickly, turn it over quickly, particularly during this dangerous winter to keep people safe? Yeah, and I have some questions about, like, um, some of the other issues that will arise based on location. And, you know, obviously it's not ideal, but I agree with you when the opportunity is there to do something like this. Um, you know, while it's not a great building, it's not a great location, and we can talk about some of those other things, I think it makes sense to to try to do something because we're, we are in a... You know, I, I was talking to some folks last night. The, the winter is going to be fraught. I think we all know that. It's not going to be good. And anything we can do to assuage some of the worst uh, impacts, I think, is important. So I, I, I do agree with you there. Um, you talked about the financing and the federal money that um, the, the state, uh, the two cities, and the county got uh, via HUD. Um, I'd like to take a few minutes and just do a little civics lesson um, just so people understand um, what that really is. Uh, because um, generally when we have any kind of spending from the government to improve social conditions, uh, especially if it's a new program or a new thing, uh, we get the, 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 the how will you pay for it argument. Vactuous, bad faith argument, right? How do you pay for it? So this money came from the HUD. But where did it really come from? How did it get from the federal government to, to you? How did that happen? So there are numerous pots of money. The, our main sources right now that we're tapping into, in fact, our, our, our only source, there, there's one source we're using almost exclusively between now and the end of this year, December 30th, right? I'll talk about that one source. And then there's a second source that we're going to use into next year and probably into 2022 as well, and possibly as late as 2024, 2025. So let me talk about those two sources. To be clear, both of those sources are federal tax dollars. Are they your tax dollars? Is it your tax money? Yes, it's your tax money. Are your county property taxes going to go up because we're making this purchase or because we need to operate it? Absolutely not, because the county property tax fund, this project is not tapping into those funds. Now, if you ask me, should, be, should we be contributing locally to a project like this? I believe we should. But in terms of managing the government, I'm going to use the most efficient funding we can find. And right now, that's federal CARES Act money. CARES Act is, is a law, the law of the United States that was passed back in March, signed into law by our outgoing president, Donald Trump. Uh, and what it did is it provided, I forget, I think it was $2.2 trillion of assistance, of economic assistance across the country. I think a lot of people know about the PPP loans to businesses. A lot of people know about the, the, um, the checks that went out. I forget, it was $1,200 checks that went out to most Americans. Uh, everybody, or a lot of people know about the 150 billion with a B dollars of assistance that went to state and local governments. So uh, some of this money also went to different departments like housing and urban development. So I mentioned there are two pots of money. One pot of money 
uh, is $1.25 billion, with a B, dollars that came to the state of Delaware. Of that $1.25 billion, over $300 million came directly to Newcastle County. Under the current rules of this um, funding, if the county does not use the money to fight COVID by December 30th, it will be returned to the federal government. So when people are concerned, saying you're spending you know, $19.5 million to buy the Sheridan, my taxes are going up, nothing could be further from the truth. In, in actuality, if we don't spend this $19.5 million on this or any other project to fight COVID, we have to send it back to Washington as of December 30th. So that's the first thing. The second pot of money, there's, there's a pot of money from the Department of Housing and Urban Development that is distributed to states, cities, counties across the country. That money does not expire December 30th. It expires in, I believe, 2026. It has a five or six year timeline. And so after December 30th, there obviously will be a variety of operational expenses. And one of the largest pots we're going to tap into after December 30th is that pot. Again, none of those dollars have any direct impact or even really indirect impact on the property taxes that you pay to your county government. Correct. And I, I just want to go a step back and just be a little more precise in how we think about how these things are funded and, and, and that type of thing. You know, they, they are federal dollars. Um, but the question is, is it your tax money? Um, and my answer would be no, it's not. Uh, in January or, or, 2000, or July 2019, the end of the other fiscal year, we had no idea uh, what COVID was. We knew there could be a pandemic, but of course we never um, do anything really to, to prepare. Um, but then it happens and there's, there's an emergency. There's an economic emergency. There's a social emergency. And, and, and money uh, is then uh, approved by the Congress and the president, and it moves in the ways that you, that you described. But where did that money come from? Because we didn't know there was going to be a COVID or a CARES Act. We didn't really, it was an emergency situation. And, um, you know, $300 million appears in the bank account of um, uh, Newcastle County. Um, I know where that money came from, but do you want to tell everybody where that money came from? Because it didn't come from a pot of money that people are paying into in their taxes. That's right. It's, well, it's, it's, you're asking a pretty detailed question about how the Fed organizes this balance sheet. Uh, and how the federal government's funded. You, you may know better than I do. I know some of it is borrowed, uh, and I think some of it's printed. Yeah, uh, the borrowed, people use the word borrowed like, 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 the, like a Chinese government or a businessman comes in and gives us cash, and then we sign a promissory note to pay that like, 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 a, like somebody would take a loan. Um, that's not how it happens. None of this money exists. Um, the Congress approves spending for reasons and this reason is a national emergency a worldwide emergency and then the treasury just sends the money now if, if other financial monetary decisions need to be made to you know sell more bonds down the road or do other sort of uh do other sort of easing that can be done the but all of that is just completely based on the value and the output and the production of our national economy. That's it. There's no money that you've already paid into that people are paying out. Um, that noth nothing works like that. 
Um, this is how uh, they're, they, when they do it for companies, they use fancy words that people don't understand, like quantitative easing, or they uh, companies get a discount at the Fed window um, to leverage uh, you know, liquidity, and nobody knows what that means. It just means they make it up. And then if they have to do other things um, and, and change the rate of, of treasury bills or change the prime rate or offer new bonds or, or raise people's taxes, whatever they need to do, they can do all of that. But that comes afterwards. And, and I think and I should add that there are some well, uh, I understand as it should, you know, borrowing any sort of borrowing against the future or any sort of debt um, or payment that needs to be made for decades into the future should concern uh, any conscientious citizen, we should be aware that there are a lot of very learned economists, such as Robert Reich, former labor secretary, who actually advocates that, that he says it's not that we're borrowing too much or we borrow too much. We should be borrowing more. When you look at the infrastructure issues across our country and across our community, when you look at some of the problems with poverty, that we should use these monetary tools to actually um, to actually have a dramatic positive impact. It would it would behoove us to invest today for a better tomorrow. We'd see better results from that. I'm not saying I necessarily agree with all aspects of his argument, but it's at least important to put out there. Yeah, uh, the, the best book on this is Stephanie Kelton's book on modern monetary theory called The Deficit Myth. Um, there is no deficit. Um, the idea of a deficit is based on what we were talking about before, based on paying into a pot and then taking that money out. We don't do that. Um, again, what the real... Our capacity to buy things as a country is not dependent on how much money we have. It's dependent on our output, our complete economic output. And so whatever that is worth, which is, as you said, Robert Reich thinks it's very high. Stephanie Kelton thinks it's high. Economists have sort of estimated what it could be, but it has nothing to do with the deficit. It has nothing to do with your taxes, particularly, as you said. And I just think it's important that people start to make that connection between the way that corporations get um, funding or get loans or get federal government help or the stock market gets juiced by quantitative easing. Um, all of that is just fancy words for the, the Treasury is, 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 is paying out money based on what the Congress says to help a, to, to, on a decision that the Congress made. So the Congress made a decision to help people because of COVID to whatever extent they did. Uh, hopefully in January they'll do a little bit more. But I think it's important that people know that these are decisions that we can make. Um, you know, in this emergency, um, you know, local politicians were able to leverage this and do some good with it. But people can, can keep this in mind when when we're having regular political conversations about how are we going to pay for it for certain things. Let's say Medicare for all, which comes up all the time. Uh Remember how we pay for everything, at least as a starting point, so you understand it's more about choices and the value of the economy together than it is about um, you know people paying their taxes into a pot. I, that's the point I was trying to yeah, make. That's fair. I, I, I mean, where we may disagree, I think it's really important that it be sustainable. Whatever we're doing has to be financially sustainable. So we can't you know build crazy infrastructure and. Uh, invest in eliminating poverty if it's just sort of one-time or two-time expenditures that we're not able to sustain over decades, over generations as a society. No, I agree. No, I, and I agree with that too. As a as a concept, it needs to be something we decide to do as a permanent 
a sustainable thing. Absolutely. And and frankly, I think under this construction, um, building out better infrastructure, uh, better airports, better roads, better housing for people um, actually increases the output and the value of our economy as a whole. So as we do that, uh, we actually are able to uh, kind of juice the economy and juice everything. And, and, and it's, it's sort of a self-fulfilling thing if... Uh, we make if if we decide that that's what we want to do. That's it's just political will to me. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. It has to be sustained. Um, I guess one of the reasons I brought it up is because yeah, we, you see that we do this in a, an emergency situation. Um, but there's literally no reason we couldn't have done this two years ago, and tried to figure out oh let's let's get some money and try to build centers where we can get people services and, and, and housing. Uh, but we, we do it in, a, in an emergency because it affects more people and it gets people sort of awakened to the idea that it, something needs to be done. Um, so I'm sort of trying to move people into that like idea, like you see what we can do. It doesn't take, you know, it doesn't take a, a quarter million. It doesn't take a quarter million Americans dead to do this. We don't have to wait for a crisis to actually move and try to solve problems. Yeah, I mean, we have, yeah, whatever it is now, 250 million uh, American or 250,000 Americans dead. Um, just to do this, it seems like a big price to pay uh, when we didn't have, you know, that we could have we could have thought about this differently. But in any event, um, no, I, I appreciate uh, all of that. Um, back to the the story about location, um, because that was one of the things that ran through my mind too. You know, this building is is on uh, a marshland on an access road. You know, between Newport and the airport, um, not the greatest location. Um, what can we do about transportation there? Um, can we get bus routes out there? I mean, it doesn't seem like should be that difficult from Basin Road and and ninety five to get a regular bus route because not only for the people who will be residents there, uh, but for the folks who are going to work there to provide services, to provide food, to provide medical care, et cetera, et cetera. Um, where are we with, with transportation and, and sort of some just basic infrastructure um, for that location? So a few principles. The first is that, as I mentioned you earlier, n- no property, no location is perfect, right? If we, if we wanted a perfect location in the middle of a crisis, with with a winter uh, beckoning, uh, we never would have done this because we would have still been looking. So that's the first thing. The, the second thing is my general philosophy with this. This is a really tough thing to pull off uh, to to create not just to to create an entity like this to make it financially viable, but also make it high quality. Make sure it's safe. Make sure people are able to get there and get out of there. Make sure there's effective treatment, wraparound services, intensive case management. Incredible. Like I wake up in the middle of the night and I think of, like there's a huge commercial kitchen there. Um, and how are we going to put that to work in an affordable way for people? Can we include job training in there? And h- how do we do that in a way that enables people to eat safely and it follows all sorts of food regulation? that we in the county don't know a whole lot about, all sorts of things. What I can tell you is this, no matter what problem there is, whether it's transportation security or anything else, there's a tremendous, tremendous outpouring of interest and desire to participate in this from all corners of really our state and our region. I'm getting emails of thanks from Maryland, from Pennsylvania, from New Jersey, from neighboring jurisdictions, just thanking us for sticking out our neck 
and, and doing this. And we're going to all come together and we're going to problems like transportation. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a challenge, but as long as we put our resources together, we'll be able to solve problems like that. There's DART. There are actually a couple of uh, vans that came with the hotel, Sheridan vans. Uh, and there are a host of organizations. We signed a deal with Friendship House. We're going to be partnering with Friendship House. And there are a whole bunch of other organizations that have transportation assets that we're going to be put to use. We're talking about uh, putting some street teams to work. So they'll actually go out uh, as, as uh, we do when we do the point in time count each year. Uh, but we'll do it on a regular basis. Something I used to do actually in Nairobi, Kenya, where we go out on the street and try to meet people uh, who are on the street and just let them know, hear the services that are available, make sure they can get transportation if need be. So, uh, you know, maybe it's Uber vouchers, uh, Lyft vouchers. There are a whole bunch of ways that we can solve the problem. And as long as the desire in our community is there to solve the problem, we will solve the problem. Yeah, and I hope that... Um now that we have some sort of foundation or an idea that we're that we're we're making reality um i hope that this, the problem isn't solved by uber and lyft vouchers or more sort of contracts like private contracts um i, I don't think because going back to your original point which i think is absolutely true uh it needs to be a, sustain, a sustainable system that that accomplishes a, a particular goal and yeah, I mean we're in a we're in an, a crisis right now. Uh, it's probably going to get worse, and so there are things that are probably be done that aren't ideal. Uh, but it, with a with an eye towards sustainability and and the future, I hope people keep sort of keep that in mind, so that stop gaps or side deals or some sort of technocratic uh, band aid, um, I think puts us back in the in the same uh, sort of in the same boat. Um, I'm wondering um, what other what other things. I mean, is it is it planned? You were talking about the money, at least for the purchase. Um, if it wasn't used, some of that was running out. Um, other money from HUD having about like a five or, or six year sort of um, uh, timeline to timeline, right? Um, what kind of? I mean, or have you thought about using that money over time to make sure that this is something that? you know, is a place where people can go to safe, provide services, food, et cetera, over time? Or is this a, um, or is this a, uh, sort of a temporary emergency fix to you? We purchased it as a temporary emergency fix, but I believe strongly in building back better. I believe it, that like you spoke about a few minutes ago, that sometimes it takes a crisis to really hone in on what the problems are and what the creative solutions are. So we do expect this to be part of the solution going forward of, of the real crunch in affordable housing and, uh, and the problem that homeless people face. I've always, listen, I'm someone, I, it, when I was in junior high school and high school, my, my thing was addressing and, and understanding homelessness. Uh, I worked with uh, homeless uh, organizations in Wilmington and then uh, in college as well, I wrote my senior thesis on the implementation of the McKinney Act, which is a 1987 law uh, to assist homeless people, specifically around the education of homeless children. I would see it as a dream and would make my whole career worthwhile if we could come close to eliminating the problem of homelessness in our state, in our county. And I'm, I certainly am hopeful. We don't have all the I's dotted and T's crossed. 
but I certainly am hopeful that this facility will be part of that solution. Yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate that you uh, that you said that. I've said before on here, um, you know, one of my heroes still is is, is Jeremy Corbyn in the Labor Party, and uh, in the run up to um, the election last year, he was just asked in a casual interview, "What was if he could do one thing in his whole career would 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 mean something? If he could just accomplish like one thing, what would it be?" And that's what he said: and homelessness. And so it was just an interesting uh, an interesting thing because I think that. That is the most um, sort of uh, explicit symptom of our failing. I think that there probably is. I think it's probably why people are uncomfortable seeing it, uh, why they don't talk about it very much. Um, but it's, there are. It's embarrassing. We, we, we're talking about, um, you know, if I want to buy a box of Kellogg cereal, a, a drone very soon will deliver it to my house. I have a guy on staff where we, when we walk outside of the parking lot, he hits a button on his phone and his Tesla, his Tesla car comes to him. You think that once we were, we were cavemen and cave women. And from that, you know, we've managed to progress to this level and we can't figure out how in the dead of winter, how to get everybody a safe, warm place to call home. I think as, as human beings, as a community, that's embarrassing. And I'm hoping that this is part of that solution. Yeah, I, I hope so too, and I hope we keep talking about it. I've I've made mention, you know, there's a uh, there's a gentleman who lives part time in in uh, our our bus shelter in Trolley Square. Uh, I've seen him on the bus before, you know, I know the guy, and it, and and I think about it often. Anytime I'm talking about anything political or having the political will or to do anything or, or advocate for anything, and it all seems kind of stupid if we can't figure out how to get human beings not living in bus shelters like it really bring it, it really brings everything down to a base level and makes it very clear to people like something's broken whatever this is it's not working and we need something uh creative and we need something that people might look at as drastic uh, but yeah I, I i appreciate you uh you know trying to do something a little more uh a little more creative and, and, and a big idea i have to say um last question because uh, I'm very interested in your in your take on this. Um, on general election day, um, you had a, a fairly easy day. You know, I kind of had the primary, which um, you know you, uh, you you slayed the forces of of evil and dark money. So I appreciate that. Um, but I, I so you had a, a quieter general election day, and, and I noticed a video online that you did uh, with Kenyan TV. Um, you know, talking about the American election, everybody around the world's uh, big on it. And uh, I understand your Swahili was fluent; it was almost perfect. You were you're doing full Swahili. I know you lived there. Wait, wait it was almost it was almost perfect. You, well, you I wouldn't found, know. You found I, some corrections. You have I some wouldn't corrections know for me. No, look, I wouldn't know. I heard from people who heard it that well, like, wow, that's fluent Swahili. So I I, I don't know. I I couldn't say, but it was it was quite impressive. We we immediately shared it on a group chat. Uh, with some local journalists and some other people. And the first uh, take was that it had, quote, big Mayor Pete energy. Uh, would you like to respond to that? Uh, I've met Mayor Pete. I'm uh, a big fan of Mayor Pete. But I, I, listen. Well, now, it, did, it, you, did, did you know, though, that he worked for a company that fixed bread prices? Are you familiar with that? Oh, so it's saying big Mayor Pete energy is a negative thing? <laughs> I, I don't. Oh, he, yeah, he worked for McKinsey for a consulting. Yeah, company. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fixed bread I have prices never in Canada, been involved yeah. in. If you're, so if you're have you ever have you ever fixed bread prices in if Canada? You read between the lines of my uh, Swahili news reporting on the American election and saw me fixing bread prices. I deny. 
No, yeah, I mean, it just, it definitely had, it it definitely had, uh, you know, Mayor Pete famously, uh, I think, learned to, learned to uh, read Finnish or something, to read a novel. Yeah, he speaks five or six, I think he speaks Maltese as well. But yeah. The way, you, you don't like Mayor Pete. So is this like a backhanded compliment? You say, are you like Mayor Pete? And I say, yes, and then you kick me off the show? Is that Correct. Happened? That was, a, I mean, the joke just basically wrote itself because I knew that you would then defend Mayor Pete and then I could shit on me. I like Mayor Pete. Even if you don't like I him. mean, of, I'm, of course. I'm a Mayor Pete fan. You, I mean, I would expect nothing, nothing less. Nothing less. He did some good Fox News hits during the, uh, during the run up to the general election. That was fun. He's, so. ge- he's geniusly smart and he cares. Uh, and if I can, uh, can I ask one question to your correspondent here, Mr. Stomberg? I actually have two questions. Uh, Get in there, buddy. Carl, how many, uh, since Carl's asking me all the tough questions today, how many websites did you do uh, for candidates in this election cycle in 2020? In 2020? How many websites um, did you do? At least four, I think possibly five. So you did a website and you don't even know if you did it? It happens. Of those five, how many of those candidates won? All of them. Ladies and gentlemen, Stomberg Web, Web uh, Development Services. Sign up today. He's, I mean, look, and, and in, in the Delaware call, you, you did see that uh, uh, Carl reflected on his time working on both the Laura Sturgeon uh, and the Medina campaigns. Um, obviously, look, the guy's a winner. More and more people are saying it. He, 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 uh, my advice to Carl would be either to come work for me so I can win or to quit now while you're undefeated. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what it says about me. I think we need him here. Uh, what's your What's your take on the on the national stuff? Well, first, um, just generally, there'll be a new look General Assembly in Dover uh, come January. Um, what do you have any? Uh, are you looking for anything um, particular? That uh, any changes or any uh, any highlights that you think is going to roll out of this sort of new look General Assembly? Decades ago. Decades ago, I was a page in high school in Dover. And when I was a page in Dover, there were two uh, state representatives of color, uh, Jim Sills and Rourke Moore, both from the city of Wilmington. And they were sort of the, if you will, the black districts in the city of Wilmington. In uh, 2011, when I came home from Iraq, there were still two black representatives in Dover in 2016, still two black representatives today, or as of when, when everyone who won the election is in office, what are there? Are there 11, uh, nine, 10, 11. So just in terms of representing the people of our state, I think what's happening is tremendously positive representing a diversity of opinions Tremendously positive. I think it's it's really exciting to see some of the um, some things move forward. I'm excited to see what happens on on uh, reasonable gun control, uh, maybe even some unreasonable what people would call unreasonable gun control um, and other legislative uh, initiatives that that really I think represent the people of the state and what we really need to move our our state forward. So I think that's exciting, but we'll see. It's it's unknown. There are a lot of 
people, a lot of new faces just starting in 2018. You know, it's funny. I got elected in 2016 and I was the new guy. And it didn't take long for me not to be the new guy anymore because there are a lot of new uh, women and men who are adding a lot of exciting energy to our party and to the state. And so I look forward to it. Okay, national level. Um, I, I'm, I think that everyone is, is, at least people of my political persuasion, are, are pretty down. Um, you know, I don't think given Joe Biden's political history, um, there's a lot to um, be happy about. Uh, however, people have made uh, the, the point that uh, as a, a longtime party politician, that uh, he could be open to uh, he could be open to doing things that we wouldn't expect him to do. Uh, I, 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 would, I would hesitate to call him the new FDR. I'm not going to go as far as to say something so outrageous. Um, but I know uh, I'll give you a chance to say something nice because I know that's what you would do anyway. Um, yeah, give me, like, what do you think can be done? Uh, what, what approaches can be done um, to sort of win back or, or, or do something about the the energy in, in the country because you know we we kicked trump out and that's that's good uh but down ballot nationally didn't do so great um the congress doesn't look so great and frankly you know nobody's expectations of biden based on the campaign were very high because it was like i'm a guy you know i'm not an asshole which the, all of that's i guess true um so we we weren't we weren't promised anything really even. Um, so I, I wonder what direction or what room you think you have, you think the president might have to start saying, Hey, I can actually, I can actually offer you something as a Democrat. Uh, I think for example, one of the things that he's mentioning is taking some action on federal student loans and forgiving, uh, federal student loans, which I think is a great idea. Um, but do you think that there are more opportunities of him to do that and really sort of, as FDR did, sort of reorganize the polity uh, in a way that uh, we don't get into this situation again. The uh, end of that question, so we don't get into that situation again. I, I, I don't know how to assure the people we don't get into the situation. The first thing is something that I've realized as county executive is I have a lot less power than people think I do. And the president, who's the most powerful human being in, in the country, perhaps the world, has a lot less power than we think he does. Uh, I know a lot of the things we would like him to do, uh, and I certainly would like him to do, a lot of things, bold things on healthcare, bold things on, on education, bold things, as I mentioned, on gun control and on the environment. He can do some of it by executive order, but really to create the sort of structural change uh, that we need, uh, and bold things on infrastructure as well, he'll need Republican support in the Senate and I, quite frankly, don't don't know if he can get it. So he he's got to govern in a way that recognizes the tremendous divisions in our our country, uh, which I know you probably don't uh, like to hear. I, I certainly hope he's bold oh, I, on health care. I, I, I certainly hope he's bold in making sure poor kids have an opportunity, a fair and equal opportunity to get an excellent education, to get the best education. Um, but. I don't I mean, based on what I look at how this country has been governed the last four years and that 
basic governing philosophy. While I think you can look at this election as a repudiation of Trump, I don't know if it was a repudiation of, of it was a repudiation of Trump-like governance. I don't know if it was a repudiation of, of Pence or Mitch McConnell type governance. And I am almost equally appalled by, by um, McConnell Pence governance as I am by Trump governance. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you actually. I, I, on this, in the sense that if, if what you're looking to do depends upon, you know, cooperation uh, from a McConnell run Senate, for example, I think there's no reason to believe you're going to get any of that. I completely agree, and that and that's one of the reasons that my expectations are, and that's on that score so low. But I think there is, and and I, I point, I, I always point people to a uh, about a year ago, uh, the New Republic published a long thing, you know, the first hundred days and and, and executive action that could take place, and it, it's actually quite extensive, and. Not only is what's possible through executive action quite extensive, if it's done in a strategic way, it neutralizes Trumpism in the Senate and the House. Because they're just playing to a constituency. And, you know, the reason they do that is because constituents want them to act like that. And it's, you know, obviously people with money love that stuff, but just in the general constituency also likes it because they're not getting anything either. But if, if from an executive perspective, um, issues and policies can be, you know, and benefits, material benefits are available to people everybody, in a universal way from an executive perspective, I think you undermine Trumpism in, 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 in the Congress and, and in the country. And so this idea that, yes, these people are not going to cooperate. These people are recalcitrant. They're entrenched. And they're not, they don't, they're not interested in finding a, a third way. They're not interested in reaching across the aisle. They're not. Fine. Fine. But I, I don't see a way to neutralize that, well, you just got, accepting you, it. You got you to gotta be clear. Sorry to cut you off, but you got you to be clear on no, who, go, no, the, please. who the they is when you say uh, they're not interested in finding a third way. They're not interested in compromising. Because I, I think at least uh, in the Senate— Right. Uh, if all you need is a majority, you, you don't need to get every Republican. You don't even need to get uh, a majority of the Republicans. You just need to get one, depending on what happens in Georgia. You need to get one or two or three Republicans and you're uh, and you're good. So I think that 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 and I think there are some Republicans who are like, quote unquote, third way you can do. But I agree. There's there's some things you could do by executive order. Donald Trump certainly pushed uh, the the powers of executive order to, to the limits uh, yeah. in terms of trying to build that, that crazy wall and things like that. Uh, and and uh, in some respects, I, I agree with you that I hope President Biden does, does so as well. Yeah, and, and, and I, 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 I only say that because this, this concept of there being, you know, some cohort of Republicans in the Congress um, that are looking to work with you, I, 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 I see no evidence of it. I also think, listen, I, I um, as a kid who grew up here and saw Joe Biden, the senator, uh, for most of his career, well, it, through today's lens, he may be viewed as a as a moderate. And I get that uh, his his views on like like his position on the crime bill, the Clinton's crime bill in the 90s and on 
on welfare policy was not really the most progressive. There are other that what we're going to call it not the not to interrupt you, but we're going to call it the not really the most progressive. I mean, well, it, this is the problem. But, and, and look, I, I understand that he went in and, and he was, you know, kind of a middleman and just doing look, Clinton wanted to do the crime bill. Clinton wanted to do welfare reform. Clinton wanted to uh, deregulate corporations, which worked out great for Biden because he's from Delaware. So I understand that he's on the team and did all of that stuff. But that's not right. not progressive. That's reactionary. That's conservative. Yeah, but, but he also. Also, he also, without him, there may not be a Violence Against Women's Act in this country. And without him, there might not be gay, legalized gay marriage in this country. Um, and a whole host, without him, apartheid in South Africa may not have ended. That's probably overstating his role. But no I, doubt. I was going to ask, actually, so I don't want to really but overstate But no doubt that he, he, I mean, he was one of 100 senators. He was a powerful, he was a chairman of the Federal Relations Committee, ju Judiciary. But he really stuck his neck out on a lot of issues that a, a heck of a lot of moderates, Democrat, Republican, were not sticking their neck out. So I take a bit of offense when they call him a moderate, maybe through today's lens, the, you know, the landscape has changed a bit. He's, he's a moderate, but for example, like Obama, I think it's fair to say that Obamacare was really Romney care. It was a Republican proposal out of Massachusetts. Um, that, that became Obamacare. And it was really a compromised piece of legislation. It was something that I think at the beginning of Obama's term in 2009, he would not have been a strong supporter of, but it was sort of what they could get through at the time. I really hope healthcare, I, I, I hope we're able to push through uh, a stronger set of healthcare policies because we just haven't, in my lifetime, we've never been able to get it right. And particularly healthcare for poor people, like we were talking about with homeless people, it's kind of embarrassing that in 2020, you know, poor people can't get really high quality healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I hope that people can start thinking a little bit bigger um, because, you know, we can, we can get around the edges of it, but there are, there are really deep seated systemic problems that are actually because of the coronavirus and other things and, and, and just a general anime of, of, and, and putting everything into a sort of a cultural, you know, match on TV, this versus that, that has no connection to people's material conditions. Um, we've gotten into a, a pretty bad place and I don't know whether just sort of cruising in on, um, you know, I'm not going to knock, uh, you know, the, the defense of, uh, or the, the, um, violence against women part of the crime bill like Bernie voted for, that's why Bernie voted for the crime bill so I, I get that I just don't know I think we're we got to transcend that and, and and figure out something that as you said that that treats the people who are who are in the worst position possible who we've put in the wor worst position possible we need to start taking responsibility for that and um, and again I, I appreciate you coming in and talking about this this move you're doing because I think it's a it's a real it's a real step to do that. So I, I do appreciate this whole move uh, to try to set up some sort of infrastructure for this. One last pitch before I get off. There, there are people listening today who I know uh, believe and agree with what I'm doing. And I imagine there are some people who don't believe in it or don't agree with it. Uh, whether you're for it or against it, I want you to play a role. Uh, this is an opportunity. It might be a once in a lifetime opportunity to dramatically reduce the number of homeless people in our community. There will be opportunities going forward for you to be a friend of this facility, 
to contribute your time, your energy, your ideas, your finances. And I just want to make an appeal. We haven't fleshed out what all those ways are, but we're going to need you and want you to participate, to play a role. Maybe it's tutoring a child. Maybe it's volunteering uh, you know, to serve food. Maybe it's driving or maybe it's uh, contributing some money, hosting a fundraiser. This is a community effort, and we're going to solve this and address this problem as a community. Well, thanks a lot, Matt. I really appreciate it. Uh, everyone, uh, I hope you appreciated the conversation today. Um, you know how to reach the podcast uh, at Highlands Bunker on Twitter and patreon.com slash the Highlands Bunker. This will also be up on uh, DelawareCall.com. I hope everybody checks that out and uh, considers supporting our work. And uh, I know uh, a lot of people are Matt Myers, Matt Meyer haters. Um, I, I hate those people. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, guy, guy went up against dark money and the, the the shady of the shadiest of the shady, and he put him he put him right in the dirt in in September. So, um, I, I I'm not mad at you. I know you get a lot of hate, but I'm not mad at you. <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate it. You're welcome, man. Uh, have a good day, everybody. Left is best.